0: Hey, thanks for joining us on They Coined It. Just before we go in, this podcast was homegrown during a pandemic. We've been working out sound. We've made some strides. This episode, uh, we had some setbacks. So just please enjoy what we think is some spectacular content. Mad Men term coined in the late 1950s to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it.
1: Remember Pete Campbell's last day? It's today.
0: Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lipp.
1: Hey, Roberta. It's Dan Jasper.
0: Hey, Dan. This is your favorite. This is one of your favorites, right?
1: Yeah, th- this was... Uh, my holy shit, this is a really great show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, I was all in after New Amsterdam, that's for sure. So we learned today uh, the death, the passing of Milton Glaser. In terms of Mad Men uh, and direct connection with the show, he uh, did the season seven final series poster.
0: It was stunning,
1: it, it was. was glorious.
0: It was glorious. Yeah. We'll post a link to it in show notes. It's season seven. You've been now watching the show for close to ten years, and it was so psychedelic and
1: moving. Milton was so of the time. I mean his his work spanned uh, certainly well beyond the years of the Mad Men window. He was just part of everything going on. He was one of the founders of New York Magazine in the late 60s.
0: Created the I Heart New York logo. Yeah,
1: the 1970s uh, did that and was part of the advertising scene. I mean, that was it. I mean, as a graphic designer and a visual artist, that was that was really the heyday. And he was the best of them all. Uh, his work will, will live on forever, but we'll post links for you to read more about Milton and, and, and his particular genius.
0: May his memory always be for a blessing. And his beautiful artwork was...
1: And if nothing else, um, make sure to check out his iconic Bob Dylan poster. The, the Mad Men
0: poster was definitely reminiscent of that. I mean, he had many styles, yep. and the, that was, a, that was yes. definitely a correlation.
1: All right. So, New Amsterdam. Whew. So, this episode was written by Lisa Albert, directed by Tim Hunter. First for the series for both, first appearances for both of them. The original air date was August 9th, 2007 and appears to take place during the month of April, 1960. So just a month or two after the pilot. Uh, so we're still in the first half of 1960 within the, the calendar year. So we've got a few things. That's I, I want to start out talking about to Betty first and some, some some home front stuff. First is we see her walking Polly, which of course was the, <laughs> the, the dog uh, who Betty is now obviously doing 90 to 98% of the work. To uh to maintain this this new member of the family, but uh, she's walking Folly and crosses paths with Helen's husband, Helen Bishop's husband, banging on the door to to get in, and and Betty walking the dog and wants to like immediately turn tail without being noticed. And he sees her and stops her, and she keeps walking, and he kind of has to force her to acknowledge him. Betty wants to act. I think he even, you know, she even says something to the effect of, oh, I didn't notice you there or something. And he sort of like calls her bullshit. You know, Betty's instinct when presented with unpleasantness of any kind is to just ignore it as if it's not there. Uh, I think that idea of Betty really doing everything she can to become invisible when, when unpleasantness is afoot is is a huge part of her makeup.
0: It's rule number one seems to be do not make waves. I do find it interesting that she at least has enough sense of something (laughs) that she doesn't let him in. You know, again, it's these little surprises. Some interesting character dichotomy there because you've got, that's an assertive, to say no, requires, listen, he made a really inappropriate request. I could definitely see her being flummoxed. She never got flummoxed. That's, that's what it is. And that's interesting.
1: She knew. I think it was a it's it's all of the piece. Right. And the piece is I want nothing to do with this. So get you allowing you into my house is so much a non-starter. You know, I'd be diving right into the middle of this and I'm not I'm not in any way prepared to do that. Right or wrong. I'm not even before I even get to judging your situation. uh, I'm not getting involved. So I'm not going to acknowledge you. You're there. And then when I have to acknowledge you're there, I'm certainly not going to let you in, into my house. Now, I think you can argue whether it's an inappropriate request or not. He needs to call his wife and he's desperate because there's no, I don't have to say there's no cell phones. Uh, he has no alternative for trying to resolve this issue and he's relying on on a neighbor. It's his It's his only choice. So I don't think it's inappropriate in terms of like imposing on her. Well,
0: he could get into his car and he could drive half a mile to where there's a phone booth. Being an inappropriate request is from my own more modern sensibilities for sure. I think part of what makes it not an inappropriate request is that an angry man, uh, because his wife is denying entry to her home, uh, right. to me, that's a very obvious um, you know, red flag. But at, in, in the time when the, the white male walked the earth, (laughs) roamed freely in that way. I guess he, he had a, he had the expectation of a certain amount of, of course, this stranger is going to let me into her house. I think you're right about that.
1: The second thing is, is I think from Betty's point of view is letting him in would appear to be taking sides, uh, you know, which would put Betty in a bad spot the next time she sees Helen. So I think the part, the part we want to highlight here is Betty's flight response of get me the hell out of here. Can I possibly get back to my house <laughs> uh, anonymously and invisibly? We see that again a little bit later in the episode because Helen, what I think is a very good uh, response from a neighbor, a good, good follow-up response is Helen comes to apologize. I'm sorry for what happened, blah blah blah, And Betty, In the, it, to me, it's exactly the same instinct that leads her to want to be invisible with the husband and get out of there, is Betty's complete denial that she saw anything right which is kind of like to the viewer you're saying what what you know is this betty just you know trying to be ridiculously polite which okay you could say that's her that's her breeding for sure before you even can process that helen's (laughs) in her face saying what are you kidding i just i saw the whole thing from my window you're you know exactly what i'm talking about and it kind of pierces betty's bubble and i think it goes right to betty's own insecurities about being divorced, being left uh, unmarried, having to fend for herself, and all these things that she sees Helen going through as a single mother. So she's got these fears and insecurities, and Helen, you know, is this big representation of all of them. Um, and the last thing I think she wants to do is have a conversation with Helen about the interaction with her husband, but but they end up doing that.
0: It it was one of the more refreshing moments in this episode there was not a whole lot of honest moments and Helen just again being cut the bullshit, you know, Helen, Helen came over to apologize, but I think Helen also came over to explain. I think Helen recognized her strange status in this community. We don't talk about these things except Mm. everybody was talking about these things except for Helen. And I think Helen and also Helen, you know, I was going to say she doesn't have that many friends, but that may not be true. I mean, she's out. You know, when you're campaigning, you bond with the people you're you're stuffing envelopes with. Mm-hmm. So, um, Helen's fine, actually. Helen goes to work at the jewelry at the jewelry counter. I mean, Helen's Helen's kind of Mrs. Maisel, uh, with with a lot with a lot less money.
1: She has to handle these things with a certain amount of grace and grin and bear it. But um, she definitely
0: wanted to. Just here's the deal. My husband was a goddamn cheater. Here's why I'm here. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, she yeah. wanted, and, and, yeah. and Betty and Betty made her a cup of coffee and, and decided to, to connect with her a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I think it was a real educational moment for Betty. I think it's still a matter of facing her greatest fears, so she's not exactly over it. But again, you dive into the show, and you dive into the characters and their responses to things, and nothing's by accident. So you're rewarded for this kind of... Attention to detail where Betty, you know, uh, oh, it's unpleasant. It's not, it's not part of the picture that we're supposed to have up here in the suburbs and right. with perfect homes and lawns and families and walking dogs, etc. Now I'm, I'm walking the, the family dog. Oh, by the way, it was brought home by my husband who, who skipped out on our daughter's birthday when he was, was pissed drunk. Yeah no but he's just the family dog and I'm walking him.
0: Right. And suddenly suddenly walking suddenly walking is not so strange is it Betty? <laughs>
1: yeah right, exactly. <laughs> suddenly walking Truly. is a thing
0: we do as long as we have a dog with us.
1: You know that 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 talk on the couch and that little confrontation with with Helen leads to Betty uh babysitting for a couple of hours right. for Helen's kids when she's out stuffing envelopes for Kennedy. There's there's this incredible Interaction between Betty and Helen's son Glenn, who's what eight, nine,
0: something like that, played by Martin Weiner, Matthew Weiner's son.
1: Bold move, uh, but but the young the young man pulls it off really well. He's terrific, and he you know.
0: And he's, and he's, He's and it's, it's creepy. It's a completely creepy. There's a lot of creepy, creepy. there's a lot of creepy males in this episode.
1: (laughs) Well, it's, 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 it's it's drawn that way because the first thing we really see of Martin is he's walking in on Betty, uh, using the commode in, in Helen's, in Helen's, uh, uh, downstairs bathroom.
0: Even before that, it's been a minute since I was, since this was the first time I watched the episode, but just why are we watching her pee? Like, we don't know why we're watching her pee until, but it's like, it was <laughs> like here, we are watching this, this, this vision, yeah. this, this Barbie not, doll. Yeah. not a hair out of place woman. And suddenly all those skirts are coming up and she's sitting on the toilet <laughs> right. and we're like, what? And she's why, am I, right. why yeah. am I here with you? <laughs>
1: like what? But you know what? But you know, that that's a, that's a great point. It's not the exterior. You know, we respond to the exterior. We live in a society that responds to the exterior. But what's interesting is the interior. It's the interior lives of these characters. It's what it takes to, to, to put on a beautiful dress like she wears requires a tremendous amount of undergarments and support and foundation and all the rest. And to just take down and do a number one requires a, uh, a <laughs> full body, you know, a full body exercise to do that. And I think that's it makes perfect sense to have to watch that.
0: It's another theme of the episode is is what's behind the exterior, Right. Yeah. It's another th- mm-hmm. it's actually a, a perfect weird window into that theme. We get into how is how our cities built. We get into mm-hmm. how our cities and corporations structured. I mean, Bert, below you the know, skin. P- yeah. Bert Cooper says it later. It's the watch. It's the back in the kitchen where the sausage is made. It's throughout. Um, and it. and I never I never connected it until you just said that to starting right there in the
1: bathroom. There's so much about the series that's about, um, you know, exterior versus interior viewpoints. And you're already inside, once we're in the, the ladies room, the, the powder room with Betty, we're already inside Helen Bishop's house where she's got the ironing board set up <laughs> and, you know, the the, the, um, the, the crib or the, the little, I forget what it's called now. The, the playpen. Now we call them pack and plays, the playpen. In the living room, and 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 you know, she what is it a nickel per shirt for her son to iron, and That's right. you know, all of these things that Betty, you know, doesn't have to really deal with. She's got a housekeeper, she's got a husband, you know, she's not de- doing everything herself. So uh, this is already w- the
0: first thing she does in the bathroom is snoop through everything,
1: everything <laughs> yeah, right into the right into the drawers. She's she's definitely um,
0: fascinated by. I mean. She's fascinated. Well, yeah, by she's how thinking it. what
1: if? What if she, uh, yeah, she's thinking whether it's conscious or subconscious. She's thinking, what if I have to be doing this? And the, what was it, Kent? I think it was Kent cigarettes in the. I didn't catch in it in the drawer. It was great. Probably it was just some old brand. Brilliant. Kent, um, Kent was a definite so brand. So yeah, so so Glenn Bishop walks in on her, and <laughs> it's not even a normal walk in. <laughs> it's no, not, no Oops, no. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm came, sorry. He came for her. It was it was an intentional. uh Barge, barge in. And uh, Betty responds appropriately, really. That, 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 Again, that response is completely appropriate.
0: Sometimes I'm very impressed with Betty's presence of mind. Earlier when, when Helen says to Betty, um, because, you know, New York is so important, Betty responds, I didn't know that. And I always, th- that line gets me every time with her. <laughs> she really is present in a very strange way for somebody who's also a little checked out in like mm. the, in like the greater themes of her own life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's very present in these moments. That's not a polite response. That's not that thing where somebody says good night and you say you're welcome. Right. That's like, she's <laughs> present enough. She hears the words and she responds with an actual thought.
1: Yeah. She's incredibly appropriate and age appropriate with, with Glenn. That's a private room, the most private room. you don't go in there ever, and somebody's you know when somebody's in there it, it's absolutely the way um an adult even a st- adult who's a stranger, but she's the adult in charge in the house at the moment and um and is is absolutely right to admonish Glenn because he's old enough to know better he's not he's not a toddler you know wandering Correct. in, so her response completely um shows her to understand. The relationship between the two, and yes, and that would be the and and that would be the last we see of that, <laughs> because you know Glenn apologizes as an eight-year-old would when he's confronted and to. forced to, <laughs> and it's sort of like the apology. Okay, thank you. You know, and there's a beat uh, on the couch where they're sitting, where you can tell that okay, the moment's passed that we can get past this. And he just, he kind of comes onto to her like a, like a, like a hotshot. You're so pretty. Um, and he asks for a piece of her hair.
0: What the fuck?
1: I mean, I don't know what that is. I don't, I think that is, I think that's one of the most inspired pieces of writing. Eight-year-old Glenn is asking for Betty's hair. But I think there was something of Glenn, I'll say unwittingly, um, Played on Betty's complete sense of vanity, complete sense of I'm always the prettiest girl in the room, Um, whether everyone else is in the room is above the age of nine or not. uh, (laughs) I need to be the prettiest in the room. And so, yeah, I think he kind of charms her.
0: Oh, he does. She she has a little smile on her face.
1: Oh, she is smitten.
0: She is. This is is a woman starved for attention and with no... Again, for somebody who has now set a couple of clear boundaries, like, no, you can't come into my house all of a Truly. sudden. Uh and no, you can't, you do not come into this bathroom and um and she literally locks him out. Uh yeah. The- <laughs> oh,
1: you'd like some of my DNA? Here it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane. It's insane. She gives him the hair and and, she, and he goes and puts it in a room in his room. And that look on her face when she's sitting on the couch after he leaves the frame—like
0: this boy likes me—it's so creepy.
1: It, you'd think she was at prom or at a, 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 a school dance, it
0: was, right? It's just wild. <laughs> but it—it does—it does connect to one of the other major themes of the episode. It, it, it manifests a few different ways, which is parents and children and in some very specific ways like pete and his parents mm-hmm. pete, specifically pete and his father but also in these less specific ways of who's acting like a parent who's acting like a child who 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 is experience. you know how are we experiencing things and i'm gonna i'm just gonna jump to um just because we're on betty At the end, when she says to the psychiatrist, the creepy psychiatrist, (laughs) um, you know, and she's talking about how sad it is, the you know, I mean, she's in her therapy session talking all about this family and not at all talking about what she experienced with this family, right? right? Oh, by the
1: way, I yeah, cut off some of my hair. Cut off
0: some of my gave him some of my hair because who doesn't do that? But she's right. So she's she's looking at this family. Well, the one thing she said is something about uh, feeding him frozen food. And I was like, you just made spaghetti and ragu. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that was a meal, <laughs> right? Yeah. But- it's
1: 1960. You've got, you've got nine packs of fish sticks in the freezer.
0: Exactly. But, but what, sh- but the line that, that always jumped out at me in that session is the person taking care of him, isn't giving him what he needs. And she's so very <laughs> right. clear. I mean, you can't—you yeah. really can't watch that episode and miss that she's talking about Don not taking care, not taking sufficient yeah. care of her. Again, we're, you know, we're going to touch on it a few different ways. Who, who, who are the parents and who are the children in this episode?
1: Yeah, that's right. And there's and there's a number of parent-child interactions, uh, mostly revolving around Pete. Otherwise, where we see him with his parents, we see him with Trudy's parents, and every dynamic going on is some kind of boundary issue. You know, Pete and his parents clearly have, you know, enormous boundaries between, you know, emotional boundaries between themselves.
0: Pete is so entitled, but then you meet his father and his father is so sadistic. (sighs) It's just incredible.
1: Look, we, we get the one scene in this episode with Pete and his dad that tells you virtually everything you need to know about Pete and his dad.
0: And that actor, forgive me.
1: Christopher Alport.
0: And he dies. He ends up dying.
1: The actor dies between season one and season two. Yeah. This is the only scene we get. This is all we see.
0: And it's it's enough. It, and it's you don't... fully informing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Here we're seeing Pete and his dad interacting. Um, and his mom is there as well. Uh, all the dad wants to talk about is small talk bullshit, really. You know, uh, we're going to put the boat in the slip this year, and uh, hope you can get out to what is it, Fisher's Island? What's the island? That
0: the sounds right. Island. I don't know. It didn't.
1: Um, uh, <laughs> sure. You know, just total, total wasp, total wasp, man, <laughs> wasp central. I mean,
0: this is yeah. this is, I think, the waspiest episode between between the two sets of parents and yeah. the neighbors at the end. This.
1: <laughs> this Jew
0: <laughs> right here yeah.
1: was Well he's wearing a sh- shorts, no socks, and a blazer. I mean I that, you know we can these were not we my can, people. We can make we can <laughs> make a few assumptions. Shorts, no socks, and a sport coat. Um it's it's written all over.
0: They're all the 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 young people. Pete and Pete and Trudy are are like my parent and Betty. All of them are around my parents' age ish. So these people mm, were yeah. the were all the grandparents. Except I did not know any of these people. <laughs>
1: like That's my right. people
0: were all Brooklyn Jews and Long Island Jews.
1: And and we see that that Pete's Pete's a little bit of a black sheep within his own family. Um, the the father you know rejects, um rejects Pete's request to help out with down payment on the apartment that he and Trudy are looking at
0: slams on his c- profession with some
1: outright yeah. with
0: with some racist uh overtones but just really just cuts him down in every
1: I think we can go from possible. racist overtones to racism <laughs> straight straight up
0: <laughs> well I was gonna say undertones and I'm like those were not undertones but you are correct yeah
1: those were overtones I'm not yeah. what am I the New York
0: but- Times hey
1: the the line was uh, no work for a white man. So yeah, I think that's that's you're you're pretty much planting your flag in the sand. Um, Pete's already the black sheep, he, and, and yeah, I think it's related to his choice of profession. Um, the attitude being again this WASPy culture of, you know, I don't know, you know, if if you told me that uh, there was a lot to being a lawyer, I'd believe you, but you know, you're telling me there's a lot to being an ad guy. That's that's that that doesn't square with me.
0: Although he does, and, I, and for, I don't recall the exact line, but he he does allude to hookers, and we're and we're like, there's no hookers yet, or at least we're like, there's. I mean, this ep- this very <laughs> yeah. episode, yeah. This very episode. Where do you us- get
1: off, pal? Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Just how dare? Wait, hang how on. very dare <laughs> you?
0: And again, of this theme of fathers and children and who's the adult. The fact that the cl- the client is that Pete hands over a hook or two is his father's age if not mm-hmm. older is just fucking gross
1: and i think it hit, it hits pete in that moment that that he's <laughs> little more than than the the pimp his father accused him of being but besides that pete's the outcast in his own family because he says oh you had no problem you know bailing uh, butt out from his problem now i'm coming to you with something far more legitimate and uh you're not willing to help, and and you know there's such emotional distance. There's so much classism bullshit. There's so much, um, uh, I'll say alcoholism. Everybody, everybody's drinking in that in that scene. Uh, you know, the mother comes and she puts a coaster down when when Pete leaves. He slams his drink down next to the coaster, sort of as a an exclamation point on a fuck you, um, and. You know, Pete and his family are not. This is a this is a dysfunctional setup. So that's you know that's one extension of this very clear you know boundaries that you cannot penetrate. Right? No love, no warmth, no affection. Really, uh, in that side of things. And then you get to uh, you know flip this flip the screen, and you've got dinner with Trudy's parents. And this is <laughs> the the negative reverse opposite of of Pete.
0: They're they're super waspy, but they're so warm. And I just wanna say, you know, this was uh, all of our first real encounter with Allison Bree. You know, I asked myself, what did I love about this episode? It is Allison Bree. I mean, She's she brilliant. is oh, just the best. what what a, what a what a full whole I mean again, we just said it about Pete's father, but Pete's father, what you got was the whole relationship. Pe- mm. With Trudy, what you get is an entire person
1: yeah, from sure
0: from the one episode, and she's that's you know that's one part writing and and direction and and a
1: lot of Alice and Brie. a lot of Allison
0: Bree, yeah.
1: But we meet them, and it's 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 the opposite. It's it's still this waspy kind of clan, but you know no barriers. You know the the, the third sentence is uh, about you know when are you going to give us babies and blah 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 and this. You know, again, very much of the time and very kind of uh, traditional outlook uh, at at these newlyweds. But wow, I mean, you know, ridiculous amount of oversharing, ridiculous amount of um, what I think now and probably even then, I think Pete certainly uh, feels the sense of intrusion that this that this is going to cause. Uh, They end up, you know, writing the check to help them get this apartment, uh, which Pete instantly recognizes is an uh-oh moment.
0: He doesn't know anything else but that it's transactional and that that's his view, is that there's a there's, a, there's something there's on a the other side of this. There's a price oh, it, to pay.
1: Exactly. And this level of intimacy, because I think Pete knows that if his parents were to write the check were to have written the check, nothing would change. There would be no additional expectation. It wouldn't be, oh, we're coming over every Sunday. It wouldn't be, when are you going to invite us over? It would be just it's just it would be as transactional as anything else if 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 the Campbells wrote that check with Trudy's family writing the check. I think Pete immediately knows uh, where you know where's this pound of flesh going to come from that I now owe <laughs> for uh, getting getting Trudy's parents involved.
0: Trudy set him up. She did not say first, "Hey, let's ask my parents." He no, of course right. <laughs> he also lied to her and said he didn't didn't ask his parents. Um, (laughs) There's something he was sick. There's something very wrong with him. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not a lie. Yeah. Really up until this point, it is like scene after scene after scene where I just feel uncomfortable. You've got Trudy showing up at the office and this incredibly tense scene where Don is saying nice things to Pete and Peggy's looking at Pete and just all of that is uncomfortable. And then,
1: Trudy When's the anvil man- going to fall on our heads? Here? Yeah, and
0: Trudy manipulating him into coming to see the apartment, and then Betty, you know, walking Polly and the the the, the man, and the, like each thing and every scene is full of <laughs> gross dishonesties and. Manipulations <laughs> and people not really connecting with anybody. This and, your first and,
1: episode of Mad Men, Roberta? Right, I mean, is this, <laughs> Pete.
0: Well, I mean, this one it was it was really. Uh,
1: it was. Yeah, you're right. I think that's it was a great observation Just, it was just loathing. Just, nobody's <laughs> like, nobody's on the level. Nobody's nobody on the like, nobody's, with the exception maybe of Helen Bishop. nobody's on right. the level.
0: And Rachel. I mean, we should we had we had the one Rachel Ra- Rachel appearance where she's got a new writer and she's just fine with him, but all, she also is like. No, no, no. We know what we want. We yeah. just don't have it. <laughs> like yeah. she is Don, just
1: Don, Don, Don's acting like, "Oh, I don't know." And I'm going to be coy and I'm going to you I'm going to make you I'm going to charm you into forgetting anything you might. Maybe we could know...
0: have lunch sometime cuz that's a yeah, thing.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> like... The lunch. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think so. Maybe lunch buddies. So. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to you're going to you're not going to con me into this. So, right. So so there's very little uh eye to eye um Truth telling—that's for sure.
0: You may hear a rainstorm in my studio. Yeah, it's been
1: raining here too. Just so yeah. So this notion of parenting—we've gone through a lot of these parenting scenes, parents and kids, um, and what those relationships are like. And we we echo that later, and we'll talk more about this. But Don and Roger have a have a scene in Don's office where they're sharing a drink and they're talking about the younger generation, and and there's. Roger has some thoughts about that, and Don does as well. We are going to circle
0: back to all that. Let's just take a real quick break, and uh, and we'll be right back.
1: And we're back. <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful scene that takes place in Burt Cooper's office. The client that dominates this episode uh, largely is Bethlehem Steel, and when Pete Campbell ends up pitching his own creative ideas to the client without the approval of Don and the creative staff. Don fires Pete on the spot, goes into Roger's office, and then Roger and Don both go into Bert's office to say, we we can't have this happen. And this is a, <laughs> this is a tour de force of uh, Robert Morse, of course, who plays Bert Cooper. Uh, and it's our first real introduction, first real scene with this character. And what we see is... Uh, Don and Roger being completely 100% committed to getting rid of Pete. He's, he's, he's gone over the line, and what they say to Bert is Bert, there are rules. And Bert's response back, there are other rules. Pete's family is important, and they uh, lose access and credibility with certain elements of New York society if uh, they're perceived to have treated the young Pete Campbell. Uh, or as Don puts it, they put they put out an inferior product in Pete. Um, <laughs> there's
0: that line which is wonderful, and there's and Bert says there's a Pete Campbell at every agency out there, and Don's like, well, well <laughs> let's, let's get, get one, one of those. the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs>
1: and you know, when I talk about this being the episode that just kind of launched me into Mad Men heaven, it's this scene. And it's where Bert is talking about how New York operates. He's talking about it's a finely tuned instrument with springs and switches ready to ready to jump into action. Or However, he puts it, it this kind of poetic uh, poetic description of of 50s, 60s New York. And uh, and he says, like a fine watch and <laughs> dawn without missing a beat just says, sounds more like a bomb. And I think Bert appreciates the wordplay. And appreciates the quick wit that Don sort of isn't isn't enamored with with Bert's waxing soliloquy about New York because he's pissed.
0: Bert really seems to they really seem to respect Don a lot. There's not don't yeah, you know Don no didn't question. get I don't know if Don had the authority to fire Pete. He wouldn't have today. Not not in that manner. But nobody questioned it. He wasn't there was no swat on the nose for Don. There was simply, oh, you don't know. You don't understand. (laughs) You don't understand who he is. And we don't get to do it that way. And I think I I, but I saw it in that in that same moment with the with the with him respect, with him kind of digging the wordplay a little bit like this is why we love him. You know, we we this is this is why we love Don Draper, and he's that's, and that's other agencies don't have appropriate one.
1: reaction to to my to my little analogy. But what what confuses Don, and it's what we see later when he's talking to Roger. What confuses Don is is that it's not a meritocracy, and here's where the show kind of becomes goes from being about an ad agency and Mad Men and Mad Madison Avenue and clients and and projects, etc. It goes from being this small picture to this huge picture, which is uh, goes to being about America. Suddenly, it's not about Pete Campbell and can we fire him? It's Don thinking that if you don't do good work, you get fired. And if you do good work, you get promoted. The bubble that Bert Cooper is bursting of Don's is uh, no, son. That's not really how it works. Because I can't have uh, Mrs. Campbell upset at how we treated her son and I can't have uh, us losing access to these private societies and these supper clubs where we get our business from so you're gonna have to live with the inferior product or or make do with uh, with someone who pitches pitches creative of his own design to clients
0: he did get this the bitches scared out of him
1: that's the that's the denouement but that's the that's the after effect
0: he Pete- you know, struts around like a big man. And, and from the minute we meet him in the pilot, he's, he's, he's going toe to toe with Don or trying to, um, or, thinks, and here, he can. or yeah. thinks he can, and here he is, you know, crying in his office, like, a, like a little boy, like a little, you've got, you know, Glenn Bishop unaware of that, he that he's eight years old <laughs> and acting like a, a, a peer of Betty Drapers. And you've got, Pete Campbell now acting like an eight-year-old boy on the couch crying. Very uh,
1: much so. And,
0: you know, who knows he has to say I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, and Roger Roger says, Don's a big boy, Bert, aren't you, Don? Don one minute one minute Don is the adult who can fire him, the next minute Don is, is absolutely powerless.
1: So he is getting schooled completely and thoroughly. By Bert's, you know, by Bert's take on the situation. And when they go back to Don's office, you know, that's where it all ties together.
0: I bet daily friendship with that bottle attracts more people to advertising than any salary you could dream of. That's why I got in. So enjoy it. Doing my best here. Oh, you're not. You don't know how to drink your whole generation. You drink for the wrong reasons. My generation, we drink because it's good. Because it feels better than unbuttoning your collar. Because we deserve it. We drink because it's what men do. Don Draper and Roger Sterling just talking in the office is Shakespearean from my perspective. And it's, it, it is just loaded and, and full of, <laughs> full of, I don't even know what. Every time I watch it, I'm surprised by it. Every time, and, and the silences, and the and the shifts, and how they're connected, and
1: then how they're uh, suddenly sort of predatory, and you know the big line from Don in that in that discussion is, I guess I'm just not comfortable being powerless, and that that's what he takes of the inter- interaction with Bert. Oh boy, I thought I had power to fire this schmuck. I don't have any power. I just fired him and now he's got a job again. And <laughs> There's
0: some moments when they are, you know, right, when they are equals. And then there's other moments where Sterling's kind of like, hey, Sonny boy, don't talk to me that way. All, again, all under the
1: surface. Well, I, I remember when I was watching it the very first time. And, I, you know, we have a similar scene in, I think, Ladies' Room. And uh, it's the same kind of dynamic of the two of them in, in Don's is office. Is that
0: is that what is "ladies' room"? What do women want? Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And same same back and forth between the two. And I'm thinking, in this one, when I see it set up, um, I'm thinking, oh, it's not going to be where they sit in Don's office and discuss the theme of the sh- theme of the episode that week. You know, like. Like more like Mork for Mork talking to Orson right. at the end of <laughs> the show, and here's here's the lessons we learned and, right. Meredith uh, Meredith
0: Gray doing her voiceover, right, <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and we go, yeah, I was kind of like it's not gonna be like this, is you know uh, it, it, it's not something that that it was no hacky um kind of conceit, but but we do see it a couple times, and they do kind of wrap things up in a certain sense, but it's it's so below the surface, it's so on a minor key underneath everything else because they talk about you know the fact that that pete's of a younger generation and pete doesn't get it yet and um you know roger has that great line about i'm sure in the bible they were talking about kids today and and uh and don says you know uh who, these kids don't know who to look uh, don't know who to look up to because they're looking up to us which is man that's there's a lot there but <laughs> the path from bert's office to Don's office goes through Pete's office. And this is another scene that just for me Uh, is.
0: What Roger does in this scene is amazing. It's the best thing ever. Uh,
1: You know, I, I can't get enough. Um, And, and it's, it's Roger, you know, dressing down Pete in the most military of ways saying you are here because of Don Draper's large ass. And I, from that moment on, I, I, use the word largesse yes, as often too, as I could. Yes, me
0: too. It became one of my favorite words and I, I don't I, think I had ever heard it before.
1: <laughs> no, it was brilliant. And um, half the time I think I'm using it wrong anyway, but uh, <laughs> that word largesse just kind of sings when <laughs> when John Slattery delivers the line, you are here, you rise and sleep under the <laughs> under the the protection that this man provides you. But it's great because it's it shows just how clever Roger is. That although he just had to, um, he just had to kind of double cross his buddy in front of Bert, right? By accepting that they're not going to fire Pete, so he goes into Pete's office and makes Don the hero, which is just an A, just an A plus.
0: But it also it restores order in the office.
1: Yeah, you can't tell you can't tell him what Bert just told them. <laughs> we we just realized you're too important to fire Pete, so all is fine.
0: <laughs> if Don Draper says you're fired and then you get not fired by someone else, you never have to respect Don Draper again. So it restores-
1: More than that. It makes Pete-
0: (laughs) Oh, it totally makes Pete. They just keep making Pete squirm. (laughs) I do want to say, I have been in client meetings. I have been part of pitches. I have seen this happen. And again, I'm sure there are differences between then and now, but Pete's first error, you know, and Don dresses him down for it, was not in not backing up Don. The account person's job is to make the creative look good, you know. I, and again, part of I think I think what's fictional in this show, and maybe it was different then, but I can't imagine it was. You don't present your creative to the client without first presenting it to the account team, mm-hmm. right? Um, so everybody's all, never, you, you know, in this show. Again, I think that's that's a little bit of fiction where everybody is surprised at the reveal at the same moment. Yeah, they don't, they and don't, they
1: don't belabor the process. Right? Yeah,
0: and and you know, sure, Maybe they don't see the final art, but they've seen the sketches. You know, kind of similar to to the the second concept that Don's going to present. Right, you see those sketches, so you know what's going to be presented. Um, and your job as the account person is to absolutely say, no, this is what we talked about, and to and to sell it. Now, your job is to sell it. So that was Pete's first mistake. You know, Don the 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 two men, you've got Don feeling powerless throughout this episode and you've got Pete feeling unappreciated. And those yeah. two things continue, you know, and again, we now see the source of Pete's feelings of not being appreciated. We've met the man who right. who unappreciates right. him the most. I mean, we've got little Donald Trump here who who Fred won't give love to. What right. <laughs> did I say that out loud? Um,
1: That's right. But I love the little the little the little details we get about Pete, where you know he's trying to make the case that he's got these worthy ideas, and what he's not understanding is that if you're in accounts, your your days as a creative person. In terms of direct to client creative pitching are over he's the he's the bridge between creative and the client, so that when
0: but his little speech about that is so interesting
1: it, that that that's what I'm getting at he reveals a lot about himself because evidently he tried to come into the firm as a creative person, and you you people told me I was good with people, which I'd never heard before. Which
0: was just incredible.
1: <laughs> Which incredible. is an unbelievable line to hear come out of his mouth.
0: I used to, you know, I used to carry around a notebook and a pen just to keep track. So he, he does, <laughs> he is a guy with ideas. In fairness to him, those boundaries between, like, I have good ideas. I'm not allowed to say them because I'm on the wrong side of the fence. I, I can get that. I can get that frustration. He goes about it all wrong because he's slimy and he doesn't know how to tell the truth to a human being ever.
1: Yeah. You call that an Achilles heel. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, so this all, this all kind of leads up to, you know, the, the conversation in Don's office where, you know, we get a little bit of a wrap up, but to me, it's, it's a wrap up of things that we've been hearing for the last hour, which is, um, understanding boundaries, understanding that just because you're either in a position of authority, i.e. a parent, i.e. a boss, i.e. a supervisor. Uh, that doesn't mean you necessarily know what you're talking about. Uh, I'll say it again. You know, these kids don't know who to look up to because they're looking up to us. And that's Glenn asking something inappropriate and being and, 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 and having that behavior reinforced. That's Pete not respecting the boundaries between creative and accounts and not getting fired. Which again, this was a fireable offense in most cases. Um, his 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 name saved him. His family name saved him. Yeah. He doesn't know it in those terms, but he's not he's not suffering the consequences that you that that I would if I were in that situation. So uh, you're seeing all these kinds of mixed messages. We don't live in a meritocracy. So you've got you've got this tremendous kind of. Uh, wrap up in in Don's office. It, it is a wrap up without being on the nose at all. Yeah, it's completely um, organic. It completely makes sense. It's natural. It is absolutely the conversation that those two characters ought to and would have after what they've just experienced. Yeah, they've so, really been
0: they've really been through a little journey.
1: <laughs> t- truly, uh, it's it's just the best. So you know, remember I Pete love Campbell's this last day. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Finally, we we end the, we, we end the, end the episode with even a, I think even a better rap. Pete and Trudy showing the house the, the apartment to her folks and some neighbors come by and and we see we see another example of Pete's name, Pete's family uh, having currency, having, having equity.
0: It's so interesting too, that it is not his name.
1: <laughs> they keep exactly. it
0: keeps being referred to as his name, but it is his mother's family. Right. It's his mother's name. family. They are the Dykemans. And just in case you don't know New York geography, that's real.
1: Dykeman is They're, real. Oh very much. Yeah. Yep. There's Dykeman Avenue when you get to Upper Manhattan off the of yeah. Henry Hudson. Absolutely. That's legit. Uh and there's like nine other places where that name is, you know, prominent around that part of the island. So yeah, I'm sure it was fictionalized for the character, but it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant move. Pete so we' back to the, the the final scene and you know this is this is Pete's name having having currency it helps get the apartment uh, it's gonna get them approved by the co-op board yada yada um, and you know Trudy and just the most Trudy of all things Trudy's ever done you know wants Pete to tell some ridiculous story about you know the some old family story from the revolutionary times what, right and he's uh, like,
0: honey, why don't you tell it? Because I don't want to tell Because he knows tell. it's I like... I don't care. And you know absurd. you want to tell it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, and Pete, you know, is not going to tell Trudy that he was, you know, a hair's breadth from, from losing his job that day. So he's just had it. And he looks out the window and, you know, it's Ella Fitzgerald singing this standard.
0: I'll take Manhattan.
1: Uh, I think it's called just Manhattan.
0: Is it? You'll take yeah. Manhattan.
1: Yeah, it's the called and Statton, I'm,
0: too... I'm doing Ella Fitzgerald, and by the <laughs> way, FYI, she and I share a birthday.
1: Whoa, there we go. I wasn't ready for that.
0: I know. Sit down.
1: I wasn't ready for that,
0: listener. I hope I hope you pulled over for that.
1: <laughs> but we uh, were treated to this amazing rendition of the song. Uh, you know, everyone in the world has recorded it. It's a Rodgers and Hart tune and it's brilliant and beautiful and her voice is just perfect. And it's obviously of the, of, of the, of the time, you know, the, the episode's called new Amsterdam. It's the old name for Manhattan. It's all about how Manhattan works from, from Burt Cooper's watch analogy to, um, Pete, not being able to be fired to how they get the apartment to Pete's family name and, and, and how clans work and how family names work. And, um, as beautifully as Ella Fitzgerald sings that song, this episode sings to me.
0: The steel that built the city,
1: right down to the backbone of, of 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 New York, is is the steel behind it. And the so, to me, it was like this perfect little this perfect little story about how things work.
0: We are going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to do our favorite line of the week and talk just a little bit about next week's episode. And we're
1: back. So we love to talk about favorite lines from the episode. So uh, In the scene where uh, they're first pitching Don's creative to Bethlehem Steel, uh, Pete shares uh, toward the end or uh, after the client's left that he's got great ideas. And, and, and Don kind of dismisses him by saying, Sterling Cooper has more failed artists and intellectuals than the Third Reich. <laughs> Which, anytime they bring up World War Two on this show, I'm I'm all in. You know, it's uh, 15 years since the end of the war. So it's a vivid memory for, for these characters.
0: It was such a palpable presence for all of them. I mean, it, you hear it all through every episode, you know, either you served or you didn't. You either knew what it was like or you didn't. And right. it was everybody. And it was, right. you know...
1: That's exactly, right. and that's and that's Roger making mention of that with yeah. uh, in Pete's office. I know you didn't serve, so here I'm going to give you this is your commanding officer, right?
0: And, and it, yeah, it, it just it was just so part of this culture.
1: It was the um, culture, without question.
0: Yeah, fascinating. To anyway, me. great. line. So uh, uh, my line was right before it, and I it was I started talking about the scene earlier, um, but it is one of my favorite favorite just. Lines because it's the kind of thing that I would say. <laughs> um, Pete saying direct marketing, I thought of that. It turned out it already existed, but I arrived at it independently.
1: <laughs> I just think and I love what he, he adds the word independently. independently. Like that's the key. That but it's, that's uh, but the linchpin.
0: I've done that. I'm like I totally also like i mean i i invented that <laughs> i mean grant you and already have it turns out it already existed i love it you know it's there's a, line, a in, um, line
1: if you if you watch the movie um night shift with michael keaton it's michael I keaton's have first never, movie it was,
0: that was michael keaton and henry winkler
1: henry winkler yeah ron howard's first directed movie and henry winkler's in it and it's Michael Keaton's first was, film role as well. Who
0: was the woman?
1: Uh, Shelley Long.
0: And Shelley Long.
1: <laughs> great movie. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. Find it, watch it. Great, great, great movie. But yeah, there's a there's a similar scene where uh, <laughs> where Michael Keaton's character says that he invented something that already existed. <laughs>
0: See, I'm telling you, it's a thing. And I've I know I can't think I can't think of I you know what it is I've come up with phrases. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. and it turns out they're already a thing.
1: You didn't coin it, we'll say. I that. didn't.
0: Ah, <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. All right. You know what? We know what's cool about next week's episode about 5G.
1: It's the fifth um, episode, and the number five is in it.
0: That is one cool thing. Another cool thing is, so um, in the in the previews for it. Now, I just again, I want to just set the stage for where we. You know, I'm gonna little time travel. Um, it is, this is so far, this show that nobody's watching that, that, um, and the only thing that people know about it is what it looks like because there's preview, you know, there's, there's previews and it looks very different. It looks like the sixties and that it has something to do with the people from the Sopranos. So you're waiting for big stuff and and there's a lot of tension in this episode and people go nuts about what they think is going to happen. And part of that is, 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 is part of that is this, is this, um, as we've, you know, talked about, like there's, there's, there's not a lot of plot. This is again, new Amsterdam, uh, that, which we've just covered new Amsterdam is not plot heavy. Like so much happens Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Pete Campbell does not get fired.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know
0: what I mean, like, there's no and 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 Pete and Trudy buy an apartment and and borrow money for it. Like, that's not.
1: But that qualifies for action. In the,
0: for, so there's this great anticipation for the action, you know, that's coming. The other, thing. Yeah, so what, you're, what you're I,
1: Waiting for the the other shoe to drop here.
0: And it's like this is going to be dark because of Sopranos. So there's a lot of anticipation for this next episode, based on you know in real time back then, in the based on the previews and what you are expecting. The pedigree
1: of the show, you exactly. Right, its 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 reputation precedes it a little bit.
0: Exactly. Now I will say, we've discussed like when did you first convert to Mad Men for good, and and this New Amsterdam was your episode, and mine was my very unusual choice uh, from the surveys, <laughs> is yeah. uh, was Marriage of Figaro. But 5G was a big one for a lot a of people. It yeah. was It was a yeah. lot of people said, okay, I'm in. So you have that to look forward to.
1: Can't wait. I can't wait.
0: We thank you so much. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.